Welcome to the Raw and Uncensored Ambitious Podcast. During our time here together, I will be instilling all of the strength, power, and determination you will need to use the very stones thrown at you to build your ultimate empire. We will redefine the word bitch from the derogatory to the acronym being in total control of herself. So let's adjust our crowns and prepare to live life ambitiously. Oh, yeah, here I am, the original HBIC, Katie motherfucking Boyd. And today we're going to talk about something that's pretty serious, although I'm sure I'm going to tell you guys some funny stories, but this is very, very, very serious. Uh, This is something that I have been dealing with for most of my life and something that I rarely talk about. But spirit has been pushing me so hard to just be super open, honest, raw, and real about this because I know that so many women, especially in my ambitious community, have been struggling with this and dealing with this for their entire lives. And I feel like God placed me on this earth as a leader for the ambitious movement. God placed me on this earth and gave me the tools and the talents and the voice to be able to speak my truth to help other women level up and evolve and let the their old programming go so that they can be the HBICs of their most ambitious lives. And what we're going to be talking about today is disordered eating. I have had disordered eating for 20 plus years, and I'm going to tell you my raw, real, honest-to-God story about how it came to be. I'm not going to hold anything back. So if this is triggering to you, first of all, if it's triggering to you, you probably would not be listening to the Ambitious Podcast because ambitious don't get triggered, okay? Uh, I mean, even though I do get triggered sometimes, but I don't externally get triggered. I would never be like, I'm triggered, fucking I'm triggered. No, I'm just like, okay, I feel some sort of way about this. This is God telling me that I have not healed this part of myself and this is something I need to look at. That's the thing about the trigger stuff. Not that I'm going to go off on a tangent about being triggered, but that's the thing about the triggered stuff is that it's a good thing to be triggered internally because it tells you that, hey, this is something you need to look at. This is something that you haven't maybe healed yet. Maybe take a second, don't, you know, take a beat, sit down, pray about it, meditate on it, think about why you feel the way you feel. And then you use the ambitious tools and principles and all the things that I teach on the ambitious app, in my programs, in my book, on the podcast, et cetera, to bring yourself out of that place so that it does not trigger you any longer. And no matter what happens around you, you will just stand with both feet firmly planted on the ground. And that is where I desire to be. I feel like I'm on my way there with my disordered eating, but I still have a lot of work to do. And I'm going to tell you on what I'm doing. Um, But like I said, if you have an eating disorder or disordered eating or you've had anything like that in the past, like just know that this is coming from a place of love and it's not coming from a place of like me wagging my finger at you because I realize that I still have some disordered eating remnants and old programming from the past that I am 
actionably working on right now with my healers and my coaches and my therapists so that I can can get through it. But I also believe uh, every great leader is very raw and open and vulnerable with their people. And I last, a couple weeks ago, now I'm in a time warp since I got home from vacation, but a couple weeks ago, I went live on my app. If you have not joined the app yet, get on over there. The link is in the show notes. Um, but I just went on my app like really quickly to talk about like some upcoming things that were happening in the app. And then all of a sudden, like I just started bawling my fucking tits off. I was like, whoa, like where is this coming from? And if you guys have followed me for a really long time, you know that I'm not like a, that's not like my jam. Like I'm, I'm an emotional person, but it's not like I don't cry easy. Um, I usually cry when I'm really angry or I have PMS um, and I don't do it in front of people. I just... And I'm not saying you're weaker, it's wrong, you know, it's not right, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm saying like, just for me personally, I'm not a crier. I'm more of an angry bitch. Like, you know, when I'm feeling some sort of way, because I get fucking angry. But I don't know. It's just like God was just working through me that day on that live. And the amount of messages that I have received since sharing the way I feel and what I've been dealing with is so incredible and astronomical. Um, I'm still getting back to people. It's taken me a couple of weeks now and I'm still answering DMs. I'm still um, answering messages and emails and stuff like that. So if you reached out to me and I haven't gotten back to you yet, please hold tight. I will. Like It's just so overwhelming the amount of reach out that I've gotten since I started talking about my experience with disordered eating and also like what I'm going through now. So that is my warning to you. If you are easily triggered, probably don't listen to this podcast. But if you really want to hear some raw, real, vulnerable shit, like stay on this podcast because I think it's going to help you no matter if you have disordered eating or you don't have disordered eating. Like I think you can learn a lot about it all and how you feel um, just by listening to this podcast. So the first thing I want to talk about is my childhood. So I want to be very clear because everyone's like, oh, was there a lot of like fat shaming in your house? And, and you know, did you, did your mother have an eating disorder? So like you watched her and I'm going to say this right now, my mom and dad, which I'm trying to get them on the podcast. If you want to hear my mom and dad on the podcast, like email me at hello at kbmfc.com, DM me on Instagram or DM me on the app or just like right on the app's wall because I'm trying to get them on the podcast. My parents are like, Oh, they don't care about us. Like they don't come like, yes, they do. Like you're so part of my story. It's like insane. So if you want to see Mike and Terry Boyd on the podcast, please, please, please tell me so I can show them that you want to hear from them because they, they think that they're like boring and they have nothing to say, which that could be like 50 podcasts. Let's be honest. So people have been asking me like, did your mom have a disorder, disordered eating? And I'm going to tell you this right now. My mother and I'm going to talk about my mother first because it's always the the women, right? The, we always think we're getting it from the women. My mother never had disordered eating ever, okay? My mother is the type of person which, God bless her, I wish I could be like her. I'm on my way. My mom eats when she's hungry and she stops when she's full. God forbid. Like, that's the craziest shit in the whole entire world. My mother never complains about her weight, whether, you know, my mom has been all kinds of shapes and sizes over the years. Um, my mom was very, very, very thin um, growing up. And in high school, my mother never had like a fat moment. It wasn't until after she had children and stuff um, that she actually put on some weight. Um, and now my mom is dealing with some health issues. So 
it's been hard for her to get around. She had a hip replacement in the summer and they, we think that we're still under, we're kind of investigating right now what really happened, but just knowing what I know about the body, I think that what happened is the doctor that operated on her, they grazed or even clipped the sciatic nerve um, or the peroneal nerve. I'm not really 100% sure. Like I've said, I'm not a doctor, but I know some things about the body. And my mom's leg just doesn't work properly. So she has no feeling in it. So she's has a hard time getting around. She has a cane. She has a brace on her leg. Um, so she's gained some weight, but like, even in my, my mom gains weight. She's not like, Oh my God, I'm fat. I shouldn't eat. Um, I should just have boiled chicken. Like my mom is not like that. So I don't, I don't, I did not get disordered eating from my mother. My mother was actually a very healthy eater. Um, we always had food in the house. Food was just there. Like I never thought about food through my mother growing up. And my dad, um, again, like he never had an eating disorder. He never, when I was growing up, my parents weren't like, oh, you shouldn't eat that. That's not good for you. That's good for you. That's bad for you. Like we just ate what we ate and we didn't judge it, which I think is so crazy because most people who I talk to who have had disordered eating say like, you know, it started with my mom, you know, she wouldn't eat. She would just drink coffee all day or she would eat like fat free food and just things like that. So a lot of the girls that I've worked with over the last 20 plus years that I've been in the health and wellness industry, they'll say to me, you know, I got this from my mom because I saw her doing it or I saw my grandmother doing it. Um, and like my dad had no food problems and still to this day, neither one of them do. Um, like when we go out to dinner, you know, my mother's not like, oh, I should get a salad. Like my mom gets a salad because she wants to eat a salad, not because she thinks it's healthier than, you know, spaghetti and meatballs or whatever. Right. So I didn't get any disordered eating from my parents, but I will say I was, I've been thinking about this a lot and my grandmother, so my Nana Pearl, if you don't know Nana Pearl, I'm gonna have a little, if you're if you're watching this, this is my Nana Pearl. Love her. Um, if you're not watching this, I'm gonna post pictures on my app and stuff uh, when the podcast comes out, so you guys can kind of have like a little walk down memory lane with some of the pictures. And I'm gonna explain to you in a second why. But I do remember when I was a young younger girl, my grandmother, my Nana Pearl, was like always on a diet. <laughs> Like she, but the thing was about her is she was the best freaking cook and she was an amazing baker. So like there was always like cakes and cookies and pies, like all homemade in the house. And she always made homemade food and there was never like a lack of food. Um, you know, she would bring me to McDonald's when I was little. Um, we would go to this place called the Ponderosa, which was like, I don't know if you guys remember what the Ponderosa was, but you could like choose your steak and then they had like a big buffet and we would go there like once a week and I loved that. Um, she would always take me out for breakfast I would, she would get me donuts. She would like bring me to little corner stores and get me like candy and chips and, you know, stuff like that. So there was never like a lack of food and there was never a part of my grandmother that was like, you have to be this way. Never. But I noticed like she was kind of like always like an all or nothing person. Like she would either be like eating shit or she would be like eating like, you know, cabbage soup or whatever. And I remember when I was a little girl, this was my first inclination because I've been doing a lot of deep shadow work and I've been doing a lot of inner child healing work around the way I feel about my disordered eating. And um, I remember when I was a little girl, she would ha she had this uh, refrigerator magnet and it was like a picture. It was like a drawing of this like really fat lady who was dressed up like an opera singer. 
and it said, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips. So I didn't really understand what that meant until I got a little bit older, maybe like seven or eight years old. And every time I would go into her fridge, I would think about that. Like, okay, Katie, what are you going to get out of the fridge to eat? Like when I was visiting my grandmother, that's going to make sure that you don't have like, you don't look like this fat opera singer. So I remember that like very, very like intrinsically, it was like etched and burned into my mind. Okay. So that was like my first kind of brush with like diet culture, right? But my whole entire childhood, I was never told like, don't eat this. I was never fat shamed. I wasn't really a fat kid ever. When I hit puberty, like I could have totally gone to fat camp probably for like a year. (laughs) But everyone, I feel like everyone back in like the 80s and the 90s, like, you know, you went through puberty and you got like a little puffy and you looked a little crazy and um, you wanted to go to camp and play suntan lotion. Remember like that movie Four Christmases with Reese Witherspoon when she hates going over her mom and dad's house because they always show Vince Vaughn, who's her husband, like the pictures of her in fat camp playing suntan lotion. Like Matt always will say to me like, oh, is that a suntan lotion picture? And I'm like, fuck you, dude. But there was like a moment where I had like a chubby spurt, probably right around when I got my period, like in seventh, seventh grade. And then I went through like a year of like chubbiness. But still, like no one called me fat. Like I, no one fat shaming me. No one was like, you're fat. But I was cognizant that I was bigger than the other girls. I was also really tall. So I was like one of the tallest girls in my class. And I was just built like a brick shit house. Like I just had titties and I had ass and I was like curvaceous. And then when I got into eighth grade, I was like, I blossomed like over a summer. And I just turned into like this like little sex kitten. I know that sounds crazy, but I'll show you pictures. Like I could have passed for like a 28-year-old woman at like 14 years old, like all day long. And I was like hot. You know, like I was like a hot chick. Um, And then (laughs) I love how I'm telling you I was a hot chick, but I was adorable. I was super beautiful. Like I had beautiful hair and I always did my makeup and I always dressed well. Like I was very into my fit, my looks. Um, And I think everyone is like in eighth grade, right? And then I went to high school and all four years of high school, like again, I was always like a bigger girl because like everyone else that I went to school with, they were all like little tiny things. They were like super petite and they were like little tiny like bones and joints. And I was always just like a big stock. Like my dad is a big dude. He's six two. Um, and my mom, even though she's a squirt, she's like a little pipsqueak. She had titties. Like my dad used to call her tugboat Terry. This is like a true story. I can't believe I'm digressing off of this, whatever. But <laughs> my dad used to call my mom tugboat. She had such big titties. I want to show you guys a picture of my mom too on my app. Like my mom was so hot. She looked like Selma Hayek. She had these big titties and like super small, thin waist. And she was tiny and she was just so beautiful. Um, My mom is still beautiful, but you know, we're all getting older. We don't look like we did in high school anymore. But my daddy's called my mom Tugboat Terry because she had these big tig old bitties. She had tig old bitties. I don't even know what the hell I was just talking about. Now I just can't can't get my mom's big fucking bazooka titties out of my head, but whatever, I'll figure it out. Anyways, so all through high school, like I was, you know, I had big boobs and I was very sexy and I was like older looking for my age. But again, like no one called me fat. Like the boy, I don't think the boys thought I was fat. My friends didn't think I was fat. I was never called fat. So this is, I'm giving you all this information because I want you to understand something. When you when you pick up disordered eating, there's like this Rubicon that you cross that you can never come back from. And it's like this place where 
it's like this is when this is before this happened and this is after. Like there's a very distinct line that's drawn in your in the sand and in your mind of like this is when this started happening. So the reason why I'm giving you all this information about my childhood is I want you to know like I was not raised in a household like with disordered eating and fat shaming and not enoughness and, you know, punishment around food and shame around food. I just wasn't. The only thing that I felt like was a little toxic diet culture was a stupid little magnet on my grandmother's fridge. And still to this day, I really, you know, I'm like, whatever, that was not part of it. But I do distinctly remember that. So that's the first thing I kind of wanted to get off my chest is when, you know, when this, when this actually happened and how it led up to this place. So like I said, I always felt like a bigger person, but I never felt like I was odd or not enough or unworthy because of the size of my body. And like I said, in high school, I felt felt very confident about, about myself. I always just, I did, I always felt beautiful. I played a lot of sports. I was very healthy. I ate really healthy. And like, I ate healthy, but I also ate shit. You know, like I remember every day, I would have like a bagel pizza and Otis Spunkmeyer cookies and like a fucking soda. And then the morning I would have, I wouldn't really eat breakfast that much because I just didn't like it. I still don't like breakfast to this day. Um, But I remember like some days I would go to Dunkin' Donuts and get like a croissant, witch and a coffee. And like, I, I never was like, oh, Katie, you shouldn't eat that. You're a fat pig. You're, you're, you should be ashamed of yourself. That was never, ever, ever, ever in my life, like how my brain worked. And it makes me kind of sad, like it literally makes me almost like choke up a little bit because it's like, why couldn't I fucking stay that way? But, but on the other side of the coin, I would not have this podcast. I would not have been the official coach to Miss Universe, Miss USA, Miss America. I wouldn't have had my own television show. And I certainly wouldn't be here as an author and a podcaster and a leader of the ambitious movement if it didn't happen to me, okay? Now, when did this all occur? So my senior year in high school, I ran for a pageant, a local pageant, a very prestigious pageant in the Miss America organization, um, and it was Miss Taunton. And I'm from Taunton, Massachusetts, as you guys know. And I was a senior in high school, and I ran for Miss Taunton, and I won the first time I tried. Won right off the bat. I was so proud of myself. I worked so hard vocal lessons and interview lessons and walking lessons and clothes and beauty stuff and all that, right? I worked my ass off. And as you know, your senior year in high school is a lot of work. Like I was in a lot of extracurricular activities. I was doing theater. I was playing sports. I was part of student council. Like I was really a busy kid, but I was like, I really wanted to do this because in my city at that time, Miss Taunton was like a very prestigious, incredible thing to win. And it was like this sisterhood of all these women over the years. And at least that's how it got sold to me in my mind. And I remember when I was a little girl, my grandmother would always bring me to Miss Taunton. And I would always tell her, like, I'm going to be one of those girls that one day I'm going to do this pageant. I'm going to be Miss Taunton. And they always said that even when I was a little kid, my grandmother would take me to the lighting of the Taunton Green, which is like this... um little square in the middle of Taunton where they have all these Christmas trees and Miss Taunton would light the green and like sing and she'd be in the Christmas parade and a fur coat and like all this stuff. So like back in the 80s and 90s, that shit was lit. Like Miss America, like you wanted to be Miss America. Like it's not that way anymore. I feel like pageant culture has really kind of 
I don't even want to get too much into it because I, I will talk so much shit, but I feel like it's just not the same thing as it was when I was competing. And I think it was really, at the time I was competing, I thought it was very glamorous and it helped you get into colleges and it looked great on a resume. And I got to do a ton of community service and just, it was an amazing experience. Okay. Well, when I won Miss Taunton, and I'm going to be totally honest and truthful and I don't give a fuck. So it doesn't matter. This is my fucking podcast and I have freedom of speech because <laughs> I'm an American fucking citizen and I will say what I want. So I won Miss Taunton and I will put pictures up on my app and on, um, I'm going to send out an email and stuff with p- pictures too because I want you guys to really see this. When I was Miss Taunton, I was so thin and like I, I had these little spaghetti arms and I won Miss Taunton and not within an half an hour did the women that ran Miss Taunton at the time, and I'm not going to name names, but there was a couple of them. Uh, they said to my mother, literally to her face, you're not her mother anymore. We're her mothers. What we say goes. And my mother was like, holy fuck. Now, I talked to my mother about this the other day and she was like, she was crying and she was like, I wish that I never got you involved in this and I never knew that this was going to be. And I was like, mom, don't. It's not about you. Don't make it about you. It's not you. You did the best thing that you could for me. If it wasn't for this, I wouldn't be who I am today. I'm so grateful. But I think my mom just felt super guilty because I didn't tell my mother um, how much that I actually really did go through because I didn't want to hurt her and I didn't want her to worry. Um, but they did say that. And my mother goes, you know, if if I was, you know, if we could go back in time and I was who I am now like that, I would have never allowed that, you know? And I was like, well, you didn't know any back then. And, you know, you didn't. Not, none of us did. And so after the pageant, they take you in a room and they literally read you the judge's critiques. And now, mind you, none of these judges have a fucking right to tell me as a 17-year-old woman that I am fat or I'm out of shape or I need to work on my fitness or any of those types of things. Most of them have no background in nutrition or exercise or body composition. Most of them are used fucking car dealers and, you know, has been washed up dance teachers and shit. Okay. I'm just saying it like it is. And it's the fucking truth. Like I think now of like the people that judged me back then, like none of them had any criteria to fucking judge me literally. Like they were not professional judges. They didn't know anything about the pageant world. Most of them were just like called in favors because they couldn't find any judges that were worth even having at these pageants because they don't pay. And it's a fucking full day out of your life. And it's a lot of work. I've judged pageants before. So I got taken into this room and I was told like, um, I'm a jiggly, I'm skinny fat, um, I'm out of shape. I, the judges said I need to work on my fitness. I need to tone. You know, she then they literally picked apart my whole entire body. And I remember I won Miss Taunton like right around Thanksgiving. And, you know, I love Thanksgiving. It was so delicious. And my grandmother would cook and my mom would cook. And it was so awesome. And I remember that Thanksgiving, like I hardly even ate because I was like, I can't eat this because I'm fat because these people say I'm fat. And that is the Rubicon. That is when the disordered eating started. So I did Miss Taunton for a year. I went to Miss Massachusetts. I had an amazing experience, but it was, looking back in hindsight, it was um, a really difficult year for me because, you know, you're transitioning into being a freshman in college. You are in a weird place hormonally with your body. It's very confusing time for young women. And then I had these old fat ladies, these old fucking battle axes, 
which, you know, they were all obese. They had no right telling me that I was fat, telling me that I was fat. And that was when the disordered eating started. Then I went away to college and, you know, I gained the freshman 15 like everybody does, right? I was drinking. I was eating dog shit in the middle of the night. I was eating, you know, my my life consisted of wings, um, calzones, easy mac and ramen. That was what my my life consisted of. And I wasn't competing at the time. I had taken a couple years off from competing. And then I had gained a little bit of weight, but it wasn't unmanageable. And I started really getting into exercise. That's when my like love of exercise started. And I, uh, I came home from college one summer and a new gym had just opened up in my, um, in my town. And I went to this gym and I hired a trainer and the trainer and I ended up having a, re- a five-year relationship. He was a professional bodybuilder. And it's so funny because so much of what I know about diet and nutrition now is from an old school bodybuilding perspective. That's not what I use anymore. But back then I thought, and everybody in the 90s and the early 2000s was like, you know, egg whites, chicken breast, broccoli, rice, like that was sweet potato, um, protein shakes. Like that was the extent of my food. Like I did not cheat and I lost a ton of weight really rapidly. Um, but then being with this bodybuilder who was extremely, extremely narcissistic and extremely abusive, um, that is when the disordered eating and also the exercise anorexia um, and orthorexia, which is just an obsession with your health, came. Um, so I feel like if I had to put things in a box, which you know I don't like to li- like I don't like to categorize things, but just for you know sake of conversation, um, there were times that I binged and purged, so I was bulimic. Um, there was times when I would starve myself, anorexia, and then I had exercise anorexia, what I would just work out for hours and hours and hours a day. I would put a a sauna suit on. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it was like a suit that you wear in the sauna. Like a lot of um, wrestlers wear it to like drop weight before a competition uh, or a fight or whatever. Uh, And I would do like sometimes two and three hours a day in that sauna suit. I would work out for two hours a day. Um, I would weigh every morsel of food that went in my my body. I was constantly doing detoxes and colon cleanses and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, I was taking like supplements, like I had some kind of a terminal illness. Like I literally had like, I would swallow like 50 pills a day, you know, cause I was like, I have to be the best. I have to have put my immune system up I, and I would obsess over it. Um, and then when it got really competitive, so after Miss Taunton, like I said, I took a couple years off from competing. I went back and competed again. Um, and I won another local pageant. I went back to Miss Massachusetts and competed again. And they were like, you know, if you really want to get competitive and you really want to do well, you have to get work on your fitness more. You have to work on your fitness more. You have to work on your fitness more. So then I just ramped it up. And then I went and competed for another local pageant. I won that pageant. And that is the year that was 2004 that the height of my, um, my orthorexia and my anorexia and my bulimia and just my, you know, all of my disordered eating, all of my disordered exercise really was at its height because not only was I doing all the things that I just said, weighing my food, doing all that kind of craziness, I was also um, 
I was also abusing performance-enhancing drugs. So my boyfriend at the time was a professional bodybuilder, and he was very, very into anabolic steroids. And, you know, he just said to me, like, this will give you an edge. I was 22, 23 years old. Like, in my head, I'm not thinking about how am I going to have babies when I'm older? This is going to shut down my reproductive system. Taking steroids and growth hormone and all these things can really do damage internally on a cellular level to my body. And it might not come out now, but it might come out 10 years from now. I didn't think about that. All I gave a fuck about was feeling worthy enough, feeling like I was enough, proving to these fucking whores that I was in shape enough, I was thin enough, I was ripped enough, I had worked on my fitness, and I was like, I will show them. So I started injecting um, anabolic steroids. So I was using uh, anadrol and oil-based steroids to like put on muscle mass and size. And then when it came time to compete, um, I was using water-based steroids like Winstrol, which by the way is not made for humans, it's made for horses. And animals, they're equine, um, they're equine steroids, right? So I was shooting the water-based steroids right before a competition because that got you super lean. And then I was also um, doing growth hormone, which I would have to shoot into my stomach every day with a with a um, like a diabetic syringe. Uh, I would have like me- like huge boils, like welts that I would you know have to like put heating pads on because the oils sometimes like get stuck under your skin from the steroids. I would have like cysts under my skin. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm just like like listening to myself talk right now and I'm just like horrified. But like I said, I want to be open and honest with you guys. And then, like I said, I was doing growth hormone. And then I was also taking this stuff called clenbuterol, which is I think what it is is it's actually created for children who have asthma because it opens up their lungs. And so it would help me when I'd have to do like extensive cardio. So I was doing all of that shit. And then at night, I was taking liquid G to sleep because I was always in so much pain from lifting so heavy. I couldn't recover. I was constantly sick. My hair was falling out. My skin was shit. Like if you saw my skin back then, I had cystic acne. Um, it was just, the effects were insane. I, I lost my boobs. I lost my period, but guess what? I looked good. And the most fucked up part about it all is that when I was at my unhealthiest mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, energetically, and I was at my lowest point in life and I was the most broken that at that time that I had ever been, that's when I was commended the most for the way that I looked. And I want you just to think about that for a second because that is the fucking rub. That is the issue. Stop fucking talking about what people look like to them. Like just tell someone you look beautiful today. I don't care if the fucking bitch weighs 550 pounds or she weighs 100 pounds. Like stop being like, ooh, girl, you lost so much weight or like, oh, you put on weight. Like stop. If you could just do that one thing for me, like just catch yourself when you do it. Just tell people how beautiful they are and tell people how loving and kind and how they make you feel. Stop commenting about what people look like all the time because you don't know what's going on internally in people's psyche. Like when people would commend me for being so thin and so in shape and whatever, I was literally on the verge of death. 
And I'm not even, not only talking about like I, I was on the verge of death, like physically, I was like to the point where I was like, I don't even want to be here anymore because if this is what life is, like, fuck this. It's too much work. Okay. Now, in the midst of all of this, what I was going through with my eating and my exercise and all this like obsession stuff, I was also in a very super duper abusive relationship with this guy. So there was a bunch of different things that had happened to me over the course of this relationship with this person. Um, some of the things that I want to talk about is, th- and these are, these are just like anecdotal stories. So the one of the things that I remember is I was, again, at the height of my disorder and my boyfriend at the time was talking about talking to this other guy in the gym and they were looking at me and I was working out at the other side of the gym and I went up to him and I was like, hey, what was so-and-so saying? And he was like, oh, you don't want to know. And I was like, no, 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 what, was he, what were you guys talking about? I feel like you were talking about me. And he said, well, he said that if you lost like 15 more pounds, you'd be a 10 because right now you're like an 8.5. Can you imagine the person that you are in love with? Well, you think that you're in love with. I know what love really is now with my husband. I, that was not love. That was like an obsessive, narcissistic, weird fucking situation that I was in. But can you imagine the person that you think that you love tells you, that you're an 8.5 and that if you lost 10 more pounds, you would be a 10. And that another man was talking to your boyfriend in that way. How is that okay? And by the way, these people were like much older than me. Um, my boyfriend at the time was like 14, 13, 14 years older, older than me. And this other guy that he was talking about, talking to about me was even older than him. So these men are like grown ass men talking about this young 20 something year old about like the number that they're rating them at. So you fucking young people now, you guys have it so easy because people like just hold their tongues because they don't want to be fucking canceled. Dude, I think of the shit that people said to me and the things that I've heard in my life, like the whole fucking, my whole generation should have been canceled and the generation before that because they were some wild motherfuckers, okay? So that was one of the things that really fucked me up. Like I remember being like, I have to be a 10. I have to be a 10. And I went on the fucking, the Wahoo and lost that that weight. When I went to, uh, right around that time, when I went to, to compete in Miss Massachusetts, I was about 126 pounds and I was about 11% body fat. And the other day I was going through, some old pictures and some old journals that I have in my basement. And I found a journal because I used to, I have like hundreds of journals. I've always written in a journal since the time I was younger until, so I have all of my journals in plastic tubs in my basement. And every, every year around New Year's, I go through them and I read them. And I found this one journal and it was right around the time of this whole disordered moment in my life. And I remember um, writing my journal. I was like, you are a fat pig. You'll never amount to anything. You have to lose this weight. And I remember writing down the food that I was eating and it was so small. Like I think I was probably eating about 750 to 800 calories a day and then working out, you know, three and four hours a day. And then on top of that, taking growth, you know, hormone and steroids and all that stuff. Like I don't even know how, how I stayed alive. And I'm so grateful that I'm still here because obviously God had a purpose for me. And that's why I never take my purpose here in the ambitious world for granted because I know like God spared me so that I could do this work with you guys. So just seeing that journal entry was just like so incredibly amazing to me that I even thought that low of myself, like that I thought I was a pig and I was so unworthy and I was so shameful of who I was. And then 
I had another time in the gym where I was squatting and I couldn't get down low enough because I have, I've always had back issues, lower left lumbar back issues. And I remember I racked the weights and my boyfriend was behind me at the time and he looked at me and he's like, you're so fucking weak. And he slapped me right across the face in front of the whole entire gym. I was so embarrassed. I like went into the bathroom and I like cried and I came back and then I squatted the right way and like just to show, just to prove to him like, see, I'm, I'm enough. I'm worthy. I can do it. And I remember that day I was at Blockbuster. Yes, Blockbuster. This is how long ago it was. I was at Blockbuster and this kid came up to me and I knew he worked on my gym and, and I was looking at movies and he came up to me. He goes, Katie, I don't know if you know me, but my name is so-and-so. And I just want to tell you, I saw what your boyfriend did to you at the gym today, him slapping you like that. And I wanted to fucking beat his ass so bad, but he would kill me. He was a big motherfucker. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, like no problem. Like it wasn't a big deal. Like, you know, I like kind of like I deserved it. And I didn't, I just remember like taking my movie and going home that night and being like, what the fuck am I fucking doing? What the fuck am I fucking doing? Like now it's physical abuse on top of everything else I was going through. And then what happened was we were actually living together and he had to wake up really early for work every day. And I would, I would stay up at night and I'll, and I would binge eat. So I would like stay up at night after he'd go to bed and I would just like, hoard food. So I would like go to the, go to the store and I would get food and I would leave it in my car. And then I would like go out to the car in the middle of the night and get the food. And I would like binge eat the food. And then I would like take all the wrappers and all the containers and I would put them back in a bag and I would put them back in my car and I would throw them away in like a dumpster. And I'll never forget, like it was right around Halloween and we had like a bunch of Halloween candy that we were giving out to the kids. And it was like right after Halloween and we had all this leftover candy. And I remember like I ate the whole entire bowl of candy and I took all the wrappers and like put them in my gym bag and like threw them out at the gym the next day. Like that's what I would do. So I would restrict all day long. And then at night I would just get so ravenously hungry that I would just binge eat. And But I would hide the wrappers because there was so much shame around the binging because in my head, if I couldn't control my food, then I wasn't worthy. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't a 10. And so he never knew I, I binged. I would even go sometimes, I would walk my little dog to the Dunkin' Donuts down the street. I would also shit in the Dunkin' Donuts down the street because this is so funny. You guys are going to die laughing. But so my boyfriend at the time would be like, girls don't poop, they don't fart. So I never, ever, ever shit in my house. I would always walk in the morning. Like I would be like, oh, I'm going to go do cardio and get a coffee at Dunkin'. And I would go and I would blow up their fucking toilet every morning. And then I would like, <laughs> I would tie my dog to like this little pole outside of Dunkin' Donuts. And I would go in and fucking annihilate the Dunkin' Donuts bathroom. And then I would get like a bunch of donuts and coffee. And I would just like sit on the fucking sidewalk with my dog. I must've looked like a fucking homeless child, like all the time, but I would sit on like the stoop with my dog and I would just like binge eat donuts in the morning. And then I would like go to the gym and work out all day. Like it was just such a fucking fucked up time in my life. Like such a fucked up time in my life. And I'm going to tell you one more story because it's just fucking mental. By the way, uh, if this was me last week telling these stories, I would be crying my eyes out as I did on my app because it just all hit me. So I've kind of processed. That's why I'm like more laughing about it right now. But just saying these words, it still kind of fucks me up. So I'm just going to be honest about that. So I remember I had just come home from a pageant 
And I was so small. God, I was so small. I looked like a Bratz doll. I just had this big old head and this tiny little body. And I remember um, I was at the, I used to go to Stop and Shop and Shop and um, they had just put like a Krispy Kreme, like a, like it was like a glass case in the, um, in the bakery at the Stop and Shop. And I was like, oh my God, Krispy Kreme donuts. Yum. Like yummy, yum, yum, yum. I hadn't had sugar in months and months and months. And uh, I got a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and I ate them one by one while walking around the grocery store getting like boiled, like chicken to boil and egg whites and fucking broccoli and whatever else bullshit that I was eating that, that week from my diet. And I remember like giving the woman the box, like at the end of the end of the time I was shopping, I went to the checkout counter and I just gave her the box and I handed her this empty box and she's like, I don't get it. And I was like, can you just throw this away from me and just charge me? And she's like, you ate all these? And I'm like, mm-hmm, I just did. And then I got, felt so guilty that I went into the bathroom at Stop and Shop and I just purged and purged and purged for like probably an hour. And I knew like, if I don't get out of this relationship and I don't get out of this lifestyle, like I'm gonna die. That was really truly where I was at. And I'm not just saying that to you guys to make you feel bad. Like I'm not, that's not my aim. I'm really just being like so honest. Like I was at a place in my life that I was so low that like in a lot of ways, like death was better for me mentally than like what I was going through every day of my life. So I had left that relationship. I don't even want to get into that because that was just like the most, one of the most tumultuous things I've ever gone through. I had to get a restraining order against my ex. It was just, I moved into, I moved so far away from him because I was, he was just so, um, just so fucking crazy. And I moved to Boston and it was like, and I moved by myself. And I remember like just having the carte blanche to like eat whatever I wanted and to go out with my friends and do whatever the fuck I wanted to do. And no one's going to tell me what to do. And no one's going to tell me I wasn't a 10 and no one's going to tell me anything. And I probably gained weight, but I, I was never like obese, right? Like I probably gained like maybe, you know, 20 pounds after that, which I probably could have used because I was so deathly thin at that time. And, and that was like one of the first times I gained weight. And I noticed because I was writing notes to create this podcast today and I was saying to myself like, wow, I realized that the three times in my life that I ever gained a significant amount of weight was always on the tail end of like a really tumultuous time in my life. One was the breakup of this this relationship. Number two was the year that I uh, resigned from being the official coach to Miss Universe, Miss USA, and Miss America. That was in 2016. And the third time that I gained a significant amount of weight was during COVID, which during COVID, it happened gradually. Um, after the thing with Miss... Uh, USA, America, and um, Universe, it happened like very instantaneously because I just really went back to like old binging, binging ways because I was so stressed out. I was drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, I was just trying to numb myself. And the same thing with the the past relationship breakup. I was drinking a lot, going out a lot, eating a lot. And it was just to numb myself because I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to feel the feelings, right? And so I stopped competing in pageants um, probably in 2005, 2006. And then I went on to become, like I said, the official coach to Miss Universe, Miss USA, um, and Miss America pageants. And it's funny because I think back in how I coached my girls and in so many ways, I coached my girls in the same way that I was coached, not the drugs and all that stuff, but the, you know, the food and the depletions and all that type of stuff, which 
that's all I knew. And I went to school for this and that's all I knew, right? So sometimes I think about, oh, I feel bad for coaching my girls like that, but it's like, I didn't know any better. None of us knew any better, right? Like we don't, we didn't have like what we have now, this like body positivity and this body acceptance and, you know, like Miss America, I don't know if you guys know this, but Miss America, like they don't even have like a swimsuit portion anymore. Like the girl, you can be any size, any shape, like no way, you know, like that's not how we were raised and I'm not against it. I'm just saying like, that is not how I competed. Right. And so I do feel a little bit bad sometimes, but I am just like, Hey, you know what? Like, that's all I knew. I was doing my best. I was an amazing coach, but I also kept in, in mind, like how I was treated. I would never treat my girls like that. I was so loving and so kind and so supportive of them. And in a lot of ways, I wanted their success more than they wanted their success, which was actually one of the reasons why it was the best thing for me to step away from the pageant world. So like I said, there was three major turning points that I can look back and say, okay, this is when my disordered eating was like the worst. One was the breakup. Two was leaving the pageant world. And three was during COVID. But the COVID thing was more coming from a place of just like fear and like, what are we doing? And I don't even know what the hell's going on. And, you know, my, my businesses are shut down and I don't know what to do. And you know that, and I'm, listen, we all went through the same shit. Like I'm not saying that mine was special or whatever, but I gradually gained the weight over like a two and a half period time. But now that we're out, well, now that I'm out of that energy, I can sit back and I can look and say, oh, I was just in a fear spiral. I was just in a in a shame spiral. I was just in a scare, a fear spiral, shame spiral, unworthiness, not enoughness, um, scarcity, lack mindset. Because like none of us knew what the fuck was going on the last couple of years, right? So that is like kind of my disordered eating in a in a nutshell. That's kind of like my story. Now, a couple of years ago, right before COVID, um, I got really into intermittent fasting and extended fasting and not for weight loss, but for like the longevity and the anti-aging and getting rid of inflammation and all that stuff. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like so in control with my food and my exercise and all these things. And then when COVID happened, I still kept a lot of these principles, but I noticed that I started using the fasting and I started using different thing, different tools to punish myself. And I didn't realize it until, and this is where I kind of will bring the story back to like my app, was I went on vacation to Grand Cayman. I told you guys this on the last podcast. And Spirit just said to me, Katie, for once in your life, stop caring about what you look like in a swimsuit. Stop caring about what you're eating. Now, mind you, I don't drink alcohol anymore, but like stop, you know, so that wasn't a problem. But just like, if you have pizza, you have pizza, you have a taco, you have a taco, you have dessert, you have dessert, you're on fucking vacation. You know, if you want a virgin pina colada, have a fucking virgin pina colada. And I remember one day I had eaten like a lot of junk that day on vacation. And I was like, I really need a salad. Like I should eat a salad instead of like whatever. And uh, and my and spirit was like, no. Eat a salad because you want a salad. Don't eat a salad because you have to eat a salad to punish yourself because you had, you know, fish tacos for lunch or whatever. And I ended up actually getting a salad and it was delicious. Um, and I was like, wow, that, that felt different to eat this salad from a place of like, I want a salad, not I have to have a salad because that's what's the right thing to do, right? And I felt this ultimate 
wave of freedom and liberation. And my heart was just so broken open and I was so joyful. And, you know, it says to enter the kingdom of heaven, be like a little child. And I was like, oh my God, that's what this means. Like, to be childlike, like remember back in the day when you were a little kid and you just ate what you ate and you just ate and you weren't like, oh, I, I just had gushers. So now I can't have, you know, fruit by the foot. I have to have a salad or, oh, I just had a whole fucking sleeve of Oreos. I can't have, you know, easy Mac because or blue box Mac and cheese because I have to have chicken and rice and broccoli. Like we didn't think like that. Like remember when eating was just eating and there was no like keto, intermittent fasting, extended fasting, intuitive eating, veganism, vegetarianism, this fucking fast, this fucking thing, this diet, this thing. Remember when eating was just eating and spirit just kept telling me like, you got to go back to that. You got to go back to that place when you were a child and you were free and you were liberated. And that's when the magic happened. So I did that. And when I got home, I was like, oh my God, like this is the key that's going to unlock the door to the next evolution to who Katie Boyd is and who she will be. So that being said, I want to talk about the principles. So there's 10 principles of intuitive eating. And I want to tell you kind of like what I'm doing. So since I've been back from my vacation, I eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm full. I don't label food as good and bad. I just eat what I want, whatever I'm craving. And I don't have like this toxic diet culture in my mind. And I'm telling you, like, I haven't weighed myself. I don't care. I feel so strong and so powerful and so healthy right now. Like I have not felt like this. And it's like making me want to cry because I'm not like sad. I'm just like so joyful. I haven't felt like this since before Miss Taunton and before those women told me that I was fat and I had to work on my fitness when that Rubicon was crossed, okay? That's 25 plus years feeling this weight on my back all of the time. And then to be in the fitness wellness industry for 20 plus years and having to be like, I can't let myself go because I'm the coach and who's gonna go to a fat coach and who, and remember guys, like, I was not only ripped apart in the pageant industry and the beauty industry, but I also had an international television show that's still being syndicated all across the globe. So I was ripped apart on my show. I can't tell you how many magazine articles and blogs and, you know, posts and freaking trolls on social media came for me like, you're a fat pig. Who do you think you are coaching these pageant girls? Like, you're so out of shape. And I actually was pretty... I was in great shape when we were doing Wicked Fit. I felt really strong and really powerful and really healthy when we were doing Wicked Fit. And I I was pressured to lose weight when we were doing Wicked Fit. I, I, I wouldn't eat. I would drink Coke Zero all day and smoke cigarettes. And that's the true fucking story. So like here you are watching a show about this healthy trainer who's training all these healthy girls and I was just ripping butts all day and drinking Coke Zero. And I think about that and it's like we, and this just brings up a good point that I wasn't even going to make, but it just came to me. It's like, we look at people's social media and we look at their pictures and we look at their posts, their perfectly curated copy under their posts. And there's, and you think like their lives are perfect. And how the fuck do you know that they're not like one fucking nutter butter away from ending it all? You don't know. And if we've learned nothing over the last couple of years is like, you know, the suicide rates are through the roof. People are more depressed and more confused and more anxious than they've ever been in the history of humanity. 
Like we have to stop the madness. We have to take a look at ourselves and we have to bring ourselves back to the childlike energy that we had when we were little. And that is what's going to set us free. So that being said, I want to go over, and I did a lot of research before I did this this podcast because I know that this is a very sensitive subject. It's sensitive for me and I don't want to, you know, give misinformation. So I went to the source, like the people who are the professionals around intuitive eating. What is intuitive eating? And, you know, from professional people that just t- teach intuitive eating. So there's 10 principles to intuitive eating. And that's kind of what I am working my way towards is to be an intuitive eater. And that means like if I do fast again, if I do intermittent fasting or I do extended fasting, it's going to come from a place of like, because I feel like it, not because I have to, to look a certain way. Okay. So here's the 10 principles of intuitive eating. So the first principle of intuitive eating is you have to reject the diet mentality. So it's saying here, throw out the diet books and magazine articles that offer you the false hope of losing weight quickly, easily, and permanently. Get angry at diet culture that promotes weight loss and that lies and the lies that you have led yourself to believe and how you feel as if you are a failure every time you start a new diet and stopped and gained back all the weight, which is what so many of you out there do, right? Like you find a new diet plan, you adopt it, you think this is going to change my life, you do it for a couple of days and you're like, fuck this, this is too hard, right? Or fuck this, I'm not losing weight fast enough. So if you allow even one small hope to linger that a new and better diet or food plan might be lurking around the corner, it will prevent you from being free to discover what intuitive eating means to you. So a lot of people have said to me like, Katie, you know, you're coming out about your intuitive eating stuff and you're talking a lot about this. Like, what about all your programs that you have in your app? I, for one thing, I created my programs for people who need the support. Like a lot of people, they start meal plans and diet plans, they don't have support. They don't have a community. They don't have a professional like me helping them and cheering them on and and answering their questions. Now, A28P, which is my flagship program that's available in my app, that was created for people who have sickness, illness, and disease, especially metabolic problems, so metabolic disease and hormonal problems. That's why I created that. And I have helped tens of thousands of women not only release that weight that has been keeping them sick, but also get off medication that they their doctors told them that they'd be on for the rest of their lives. You're going to hear in a couple of weeks from a bunch of my girls who have done A28P and some of my other programs and have changed lives and have, you know, healed their bodies and like got out of the the toxic diet culture and all that stuff. So I'm not saying that what I have created does not work. I'm just saying for me personally, right now, where I'm at mentally, emotionally, physically, energetically, spiritually in my life, this is what is is going to be what liberates me. I probably will go back and fast when I'm when I'm over this. I probably will do intermittent fasting. I probably will um, s- slow down on some of like the amounts of food that I'm eating, or maybe I won't. I don't fucking know, but. Don't come for me and be like, well, you know, you're a, you're a, you know, you have all these degrees and this is what you teach. And how can you teach the opposite of what you tell the girls to do? And it's like, well, I don't have metabolic disease. I don't have hormonal problems. I don't have all these issues. That's why I created A28P. Okay. So I just want to throw that out there. So the first thing, like I said, is reject the diet mentality. The second thing is honoring your hunger, hunger. So honoring your hunger. 
Keep your body biologically fed with adequate energy and carbohydrates. Otherwise, you can trigger a primal drive to overeat. And once you reach the moment of excessive hunger, all intentions of moderate conscious eating are fleeting and irrelevant. Learning to honor this first biological signal sets the stage for rebuilding trust in yourself and in food. And that's one of the things that I had a huge problem with where I was, you know, told carbohydrates are bad, fruit is bad, this thing is bad, that thing is bad. And I would label like these foods are good and these foods are bad. And then what happens is when you can't, when your hug, when your hunger signals are broken from years of disordered eating, your hormones, leptin and ghrelin, they don't even have a conversation anymore in your body and say like, hey, you're full, stop eating. It's almost like you restrict so much and then you're so hungry that your body's like, I'm going to make you eat so much food because I am so afraid of you starving me all the fucking time, you dumb bitch. And that's where that whole binging, um, disordered eating comes from. But like once you just allow yourself to like honor your hunger to feel full when you're full, to eat what you want to eat when you want to eat it, and to not label like full macronutrients, whether it's like fat is the fat is the bad person or carbs are the bad guy or whatever. Once you get out of that mentality, it's so friggin' freeing. I can't tell you like if you guys have been following my app and my stories on social media, I've been like doing like I've been actually posting what I truly eat. And some people are like, oh, that's so unhealthy. Like like last week I went to this place called Mochi Nut and I had a flaming hot Cheeto mozzarella corn dog. And let me tell you, it was like the fucking best thing I ever had in my life. And I was literally flicking my bean while I was eating it. Now, am I going to eat that motherfucking corn dog every day? No, it's probably like a once a year situation. But guess what? I left that place and I did not feel bad. And that's the first time in my whole adult life that I could just eat what I wanted and I wouldn't beat myself up for two days thinking about the goddamn corn dog or the piece of cake or, you know, the whatever, the chicken fried chicken sandwich or whatever. The next thing is make peace with food. So this kind of piggybacks on what I was just saying. So call a truce, stop the food fight, give yourself unconditional permission to eat. And if you tell yourself that you can't or you shouldn't have a particular food, it can lead to intense feelings of deprivation that build into uncontrollable cravings and often binging. And then when you finally give in to your forbidden foods, eating will be experienced with such intensity, it usually results in the last supper of overeating and overwhelming guilt. No fucking thank you. Number four, the uh, the 10 principles of intuitive eating is challenge the food police. Scream aloud no to the thoughts in your head that declare that you are good for eating minimal calories or you are bad because you ate a piece of chocolate cake. The food police monitor, the unreasonable rules that diet culture has created, the police station is housed deep in your psyche and its loudspeaker shouts negative barbs, hopeless phrases, and guilt-provoking indictments. Chasing the food police away is a critical step in returning to intuitive eating. You know, when you grow up in a lifestyle that I was in and you couldn't eat in front of your partner because he was the fucking food police. Like I remember he would be like, you got to eat that. That's too much. Like I remember I was out one night and I had uh, like in port in Portuguese culture, we have this thing called spetada, which is like meat on a stick and it's like marinated beef and it comes with like some rice and some um, and some salad. And I remember I was eating the rice. There's probably like about a cup of rice on my plate. And he literally said to me, give me that rice, take half of that, put it on my plate and that's all you can eat. Can you imagine being out with all your friends 
and like so your you know your significant other in front of a whole table full of people says that like how do you think that that makes you feel and you're telling me that that doesn't stick into your fucking brain like a goddamn I don't even know what like an ice pick it does believe me and it's still in there in the back somewhere I'm I'm just really working hard on releasing it and surrendering to it and just letting it go but so like I said number four is challenge the food police. Number five is discover the satisfaction factor. The Japanese have the wisdom to keep pleasure as one of their goals of healthy living. In our compulsion to comply with diet culture, we often overlook one of the most basic gifts of existence, the pleasure and satisfaction that can be found in the eating experience. When you eat what you really want in an environment that is inviting, the pleasure you derive will be a powerful force in helping you feel satisfied and content. By providing this experience for yourself, you will find that it just takes the right amount of food for you to decide that you've had enough. Well, like me, when you were eating in your car, a fucking, you know, steamed white fish and asparagus out of like a stinky fucking Ziploc bag or a Tupperware. And that was like your life your for years. I mean, you don't even know how to eat anymore. You're just like, uh, I don't even know. Like I didn't even know. Like when I first started going out to dinner with my friends after this terrible experience with my ex, I would like feel weird, like ordering something that wasn't like chicken or white fish with like brown rice and fucking broccoli. I felt like a glutton, even if it was like healthy food you know, quote unquote healthy food, right? Because I just didn't know any better. So letting go of that old idea that, you know, you only can eat this amount of calories and once you're done, you're done. It's like, I think of like the little bits of food that I used to eat. And I'm like, no wonder why I'm hungry and I binge all the fucking time because my body's like, bitch, what? This is not enough. This is not enough. And remember, your body's main focus from a cellular primordial ancient, ancient level is to keep you alive long enough for you to procreate. That's all it cares about. It doesn't care about, you know, your modeling career or your pageant career or your fitness career or your bodybuilding career. It doesn't give a fuck about any of that shit. Okay. It cares about keeping you alive so you can reproduce. The next one is number six is to feel your fullness. In order to honor your fullness, you need to trust that you will give yourself the foods that you desire. Listen for the body signals that tell you that you are no longer hungry. Observe the signs that show that you are comfortably full. Pause in the middle of eating and ask yourself how the food tastes and what your current hunger level is. When I was taught back in the day, you would only eat to 50 to 60% satiety, which I was never 50%, 60%. I was like 20%, okay, all the time. So when you get older, you keep doing that, right? But If your body never feels comfortably full, it doesn't know how to have the hormonal cascade of the ghrelin and leptin to talk to each other to say, she's had enough, tell her she's full. So all the metabolic processes are broken and we have to get them back. We can get them back. Don't let anyone tell you that your metabolism is broken, that you can never fix it. You can fix it. I promise you. I'm fixing mine right now and I feel like a fucking million bucks and I've only been doing it for like three weeks, four weeks, okay? The next is cope with your emotions with kindness. First, recognize that food restriction, both physically and mentally, can, in itself, trigger loss of control, which can feel like emotional eating. Find kind ways to comfort, nurture, distract, and resolve your issues. Anxiety, loneliness, boredom, and anger are emotions we all experience through life. 
Each has its own trigger and each has its own appeasement. Food will not fix any of these feelings. It may comfort for short term, distract from the pain or even numb you out, but food will not resolve or solve the problem. If anything, eating for an emotional hunger may only make you feel worse in the long run and you'll ultimately have to deal with the source of emotion. The other day I had, um, I did healing sessions all day at my studio and I did calls and it was like everybody that came in was so fucked up. Like they were just dealing with such crazy shit. And because I love my clients, I take, I know, and this is something I'm working with. I take on a lot of their issues because I'm an empath. And then like that night I was so depressed. I was so sad. And like I said, I don't drink anymore. So I'm like, what the fuck do I do? And I remember I had ordered from Whole Foods like Annie's mac and cheese because like who doesn't love a little mac and cheese action? And I made myself an Annie's mac and cheese and I sat on the couch and I ate it out of a bowl, like the whole entire box. And I was like, oh my God, I wasn't even hungry. I just did this because this is what I would do like in college if I felt scared or overwhelmed or fearful or not enough. And I was like, oh my God. And I caught myself at that moment. Now I didn't beat myself for eating the macaroni and cheese. I actually was delightful and delicious and I enjoyed every fucking shell that went in my mouth. The cheesy little orange bits crunchy, crunchy, crunchy. I, I loved it. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't love it, but I realized that I was going back into old programming. Like you had a bad day. You took on all these people's energies because you were being a fucking pee on ding dong. Cause you didn't friggin' cloak yourself properly. And you, you know, you were totally too connected to the outcome of what they were going through. And now look, you're knee deep in fucking, you know, shells and cheese. Wow. But my old self would never have let me eat that. I wouldn't even have bought that into brought that into my house. But if I did, I would just binge eat it. And then I wouldn't even know the reason why I was just like, Oh, I deserve this because I worked hard today. No, it's because you were taking on all the emotions from your fucking clients. The next one is number eight, respect your body, accept your genetic blueprint. Just as a person with a shoe size of eight would not expect to realistically squeeze into a size six, it is equally futile and uncomfortable to have a similar expectation about your body size. But most importantly, respect your body so you can feel better about who you are. It's hard to reject the diet mentality if you are unrealistic and overly critical of your body size or shape. All bodies deserve dignity. And that's the damn fucking truth. Number nine, movement, feel the difference. Forget militant exercise. Just get active and feel the difference. Shift your focus to how it feels to move with your body rather than the calorie burning effect of exercise. If you focus on how you feel from working out, such as energized, it can make the difference between rolling out of bed for a brisk morning walk or hitting the snooze alarm. That's the thing too is I would always equate exercise with punishment. Like I have to work out because I ate this or I drank this or I did this and I need to punish myself where lately I've been just like, I'll get on a call with one of my friends and I'll do the Peloton and I will actually work out and I will listen to a really great podcast and I will be like, I'm doing this for myself because it feels good, not because I have to be a certain weight or a certain size or fit into a certain, you know, outfit. And that has been a huge change in my, in my mindset, huge change. And last but not least, number 10 of the 10 principles to start your intuitive eating practice is honor your health and give yourself gentle nutrition. 
Make food choices that honor your health and taste buds will make you feel good. Remember that you don't have to eat perfectly to be healthy. You will not suddenly get a nutrient deficiency or become unhealthy from one snack, one meal, or one day of eating. It's what you eat consistently over time that matters. Progress, not perfection, is what counts when it comes to eating intuitively. Okay, so those are my 10 principles from the professionals, okay? Like I'm not a professional in the world of intuitive eating. I'm actually learning all this myself. And I hope that this podcast, wherever you are in your health journey, made you feel some sort of way and made you sit and think about how you are showing up in your life with disordered eating. Because I I think like 98% of the human population struggle with this. And I think that a lot of us, including myself for a long time, were in denial about this disordered eating. So all the things that I just said to you, I'm going to be doing, you want to follow my journey, go onto the Ambitious app. The link is in the show notes. And I, every day I post my food there because it helps me stay accountable. And I think it also inspires the other women in the Ambitious community, in the bitchterhood to also give themselves a break. Like, progress always over perfection. And you are, as I am, a work in progress. And we are going to be works in progresses till the day that we die. And then when we die, our soul is just going to keep progressing to the next plane. So eat the food, do the things that make you feel alive and healthy and happy and whole. And it's funny because I had a mentor um, when I was a little bit younger and she was in her 90s. Her name was Jane. And she said to me one day, we were out eating at the Capitol Grill and I wasn't having dessert. And she says, why are you not having dessert, Katie? And I said, oh, I'm really trying to watch my weight. You know, I, I really got to like chill out. And she says, just remember, there were people that didn't have dessert on the Titanic the day that it sunk. And that has always rang so true in my ear. So eat the dessert. Eat the dessert. But also come from a place of enoughness and worthiness and optimal health. And again, being like a little child, because when you're a little child, you will enter the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven is already within you. You just have to do the right things that help you achieve that special place of vibrational frequency, which is what I call leading and living an ambitious life. In the meantime, don't forget to stay ambitious head on over to the app. We have so many amazing things going on there. The offerings are through the roof and invite all of your ambitious friends, family, sisters, colleagues over to that app as well so that they can join the ambitious movement. And I will see you next Tuesday.